Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Well, praise God. You're all very welcome. Wednesday refuel service. I'm glad you're here. Um, people that's hungry, hungry for the word, hungry for, for the Lord that's out on a Wednesday night. Amen. But like I always say, there's no better place to be. You always leave strengthened, empowered, filled. I'm telling you, you ha- if you come believing and expecting, you have to believe, you have to expect it. What are you here for? Are you here just to fulfill a religious duty? Are you here just to, you know, chat to a few people? Or are you here to encounter Jesus? Are you here to meet with him? Because if you're here to meet with him, if you're here to learn from him and, and, and just be with him, I'm telling you, you will, your life will be changed. His word and his presence will change us forever. Amen. If we yield to it and just oh, hunger after it. So praise God. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I get to minister with you here, to you here this evening. And we're going to have a blessed time. Amen. Because God's word is amazing. Amen. The seeds of God's word are incorruptible. When we get them planted into our hearts, they will produce much fruit. You know, God's seeds never faulty. There's nothing ever wrong with the seed. It's the heart. If the heart's not ready, it won't produce. And then we blame God. We blame his word. Oh, that doesn't work. I tried that. That doesn't work for me. It may have worked for such and such. It doesn't work. No, no, no. It works 100% of the time. If we get it, put it in our hearts, believe on it. And I mean, act upon it, right? Not just be hearers, but be doers, right? Hear the word and then act upon it. And God will be there, amen, to perform. He always stands over his word to perform it. Amen. His word does what it is sent for it to do. So here on Wednesday evenings at our refuel services, we've been discussing the topic of faith, right? We've been talking about faith. Now, it's such a broad topic. You can go into so many different things. And, you know, people may say, and I hear it because I hear it time and time again. It's like, oh, is that faith message still relevant? Like, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't really want to hear that. That faith message shouldn't, it couldn't be still relevant. What I would say to those people is, you must not want to please God. Because the Bible clearly says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Right? Who wants to please Him? Right? I want to please God. So, I don't know about you, but that drives me to want to learn more about faith to want to hear what the Word of God has to say, to incline my ear. And, and it just, as I sat and thought about that, it was like, it's not just difficult, or it's not just, you know, oh, we might get there without, no, no, no. It's impossible. It, we can't even come to Him without faith. Did you think about that? You need faith to even come to Him in the first place. So we need to know. We build upon God's revelation. And just as... <laughs> Nee was saying there in a wonderful opener. It was just perfect for, I just what I wanted to say here was just, you know, we need to build upon the revelation. You know, the more we hear, the more we hear, it, it solidifies. It solidifies what we know. It strengthens us in our heart, right? We need to get more and more revelation. We never stop. We keep digging. We keep learning. We keep hungering for more. And I've come to learn this. Um, as long as we desire to be filled, we'll be filled, right? But if you don't desire it, you won't be. If your desire is somewhere else, that's, where, that's what you're going to go to, 
right? But if your desire is to be filled with the word, is to be filled with the things of God, you will be filled. The Bible says for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Amen? So where's your desire? It's all about desire. So when we desire to please him, it will continue... It will lead us to continue to feed on his word, to continue to go over these principles, to continue to dig and to learn more. So faith pleases God. That is clear in his word. And we've been talking about how we have God's faith in us, right? Because there's a human faith and then there's the faith of God. Our human faith doesn't get us very far, right? But it's the supernatural faith of God. Galatians 2.16 says, we've been justified by the faith of Jesus, some translation says in, but it's actually of Jesus Christ. It's the faith of Christ. So we've been talking about that. We've been talking about how God's faith in us will always pass the test. Amen. Who's been facing tests? Not just you young ones in school, right? But there's tests, there's trials, there's temptations. We looked at where they come from. There's different types of, the, there's different types of tests and trials but, and where they come from, right? But one thing that we do know is what God puts in us is genuine, it's real, and when it is tested, it will always pass the test. But if we draw from his, from what his resources, if we draw from what he's put in us, that's when we pass the test. And we don't just pass it and scrape, scrape by, but we come out of it better than what we did when we went in, than what we were before we went into it. We come out and God has promotion for us, blessing, amen, advancement, and that's how good he is. So um, that's what we've been looking at here at our, um, for Sean 5.4. His faith in us, our faith has overcome the world, right? That's wonderful to know. God is good and he fills us with what is real. And if we don't know and understand what is on the inside of us, we'll never use it effectively, right? We have to know what we have, right? What good is it to have a million pound in the bank and you don't know what's there? You're never going to use it. You're never going to withdraw, you have to know what you have in order to use it. How do you know what you have? You learn from the Word of God. You have to renew your mind. You have to get it. The, the Word of God, this here, that's your spiritual mirror. You want to know what your spirit man looks like? This will tell you. This will tell you. Not, you, not what's coming against you, not your circumstances, not your situations, not what it looks like. The Word of God will tell you what, who you really are in Christ. Right? That's, that's where the key is. So faith is the key. And faith in Jesus is the only way to life, and we need to be taught faith. So I want us to look at a few things here this, this evening. We've kind of moved on from uh, what we've looked at here over recent weeks about these tests and trials, which is good to know these things. But we often hear the phrase, and I just want to, I just, want, God just put in my heart that this is what he wanted me to share here. And we often hear these phrases, you know, the, like the rest of faith. You know, there's a faith rest, and then there's the works of faith. And you're like, you hear these things and you're like, I'm confused. Well, do we rest or do we work? Right? Do we rest or do we work? We do both. Right? There's bo it, both. Both apply. Right? And, and I've titled this this, morning, this evening here, rest or work. Right? When do we rest? When do we work? So in order, did you ever think, in order for us to be productive, I don't know about you, but for me to be productive, I need to rest. Who in here does well without any sleep? A few. I mean, my, my kids do uh, test that at times. You know, they test it at times. And, you know, sometimes it's like they're going to test the boundaries and we don't get a lot of sleep. And then we have, you know, the next day isn't as easy as what it is on a full night's sleep, right? In order for us to be productive, 
rest is needed, right? And you may scrape through the day the next day, like I said, get a few cups of coffee, you'll get a few whatever, and you may get by, but it's not going to be your best work. It's not going to be your most productive work, right? You need sleep. Rest comes before work. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God made man at the end of the sixth day, right? So he made all of the land animals and did all that, and then at the end of the sixth day, he made man. So we know God didn't do any, he rested on the seventh day, right? But God made Adam at the end of the sixth day. But when God created Adam, there was work for him to do, right? Do you know it's good to work, right? Amen. Thanks for that. It's good. Work is good. God designed us to work, right? To put our hands to something, right? So it says here in Genesis 2, 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. That was Adam's job to tend and keep it. So he, he created the earth and everything in it, and then he created man so he could enjoy it and have dominion over it. Okay? And then he gave man a job. But notice this. His work was to tend and keep the garden. So God made Adam at the end of the sixth day, but Adam's work didn't begin until after the day of rest. Adam's work begun after the seventh day. Right? So the rest came first. There is a faith that works, right, or like that acts. There's a faith that works, but it won't be effective until we live in the faith that rests. Did you know that? There's a faith that rests, and we need to get that faith right. Our faith towards God is a rest in faith, right? And I want to look at these things here for, for a few moments here. Um, we have access to the Father. Why? Because of what Jesus done, right? Not because of anything that we could do or can do or will ever do. It was because of Jesus. That's how we've access to the Father. Our faith rests in the finished work of Christ. Right? Aren't you glad that when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't say, oh, I'm almost there, or I've a bit left to do. Or No, he said it's finished. Right? He said it was finished. So our faith is in the finished work of Christ. And let me just talk about this for a moment. This might help a wee bit. Like, before I talk about even just even in our everyday lives as believers, even in, regarding our salvation and our redemption, right? The law was given to mankind to show them that they couldn't be right, they couldn't become right before God by our own works, right? That's why the law was given, was so that it could show man that we can't reach God's perfect standard. God desires perfection. Did you know that? God desires perfection and he is a perfect standard. That hasn't changed in 2023, by the way. He still is a perfect standard, just like he did all those years ago. He still is a perfect standard and he demands perfection, right? Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to reference a few things here in this chapter. Wonderful here, Jesus is teaching. But at the end, very, very end of this chapter, in verse 48, he says, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that's, that's me out. Is that you out? <laughs> I'm not perfect, right? 
So, but Jesus is saying here, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you see, God is perfect and he demands perfection, right? Because his standard is perfection, he sent Jesus to become that perfection for us, right? Jesus became that perfection for us. We aren't perfect, but he is, right? And guess what? See, in him, I'm perfect. In Jesus, I'm perfect. I don't get everything right in my flesh, right? But... In, in Christ, who I am in Christ, and, and my spirit man was recreated in righteousness and holiness and perfection. Right? So that's who I am. And that's who you are if you're in Christ. Right? Jesus was revealing throughout this chapter, Matthew chapter 5, um, which was the Sermon on the Mount, that righteousness was not possible based on man's works. Right? He starts quoting well, it's written in the law about, you know, murder. It's written in the law about adultery. Well, here about that, it says you shall not kill or you shall not commit adultery. Well, here's even a better one. If you even are angry against a brother, if you even look at another person in a lustful way, in your thoughts, you've already committed it. So this is, this is where Jesus is starting to reveal that it's not just the act, it's the heart. It's a heart issue. Right? See, these people, he was, he was speaking to all of these religious people who were trying to earn God's perfection, God's approval through their own works and by keeping the law. And they'd say, right, well, I haven't killed. It was difficult, but I haven't killed. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I haven't done the other. But, and, and it's like in their actions. But it's like Jesus was like, no, no, no. If you've even thought about those things, if the thoughts even entered into your mind, you've, all, you've committed it right? Heart surgery is what was needed, right? We need a new heart, right? That's what the new birth is, right? We get a new heart. We were spiritually dead, and now we are reborn spiritually alive, right? We're, we are alive spiritually, right? So it's a heart issue. Jesus came and performed what God demanded for mankind, what, what God demanded from us, from mankind, Jesus performed it. He was perfection. He lived as a man in complete perfection. You see, yes, he was God and yes, he was man. It's such a wonderful miracle, right? Jesus came in flesh to take our place. He took sin upon himself. Jesus, you see, the, the law is not evil, right? The, the law was perfect, right? It's from God, right? Jesus said himself, actually, go with me to verse 17. It's here somewhere. Yes. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus fulfilled it, right? In, in perfection, right? Jesus fulfilled it. He went to the cross and he said, it is finished. He completed what God demanded. He completed it. So when we come to Jesus by faith and accept him, he takes all of our imperfections. Who has any imperfections, right? He took my imperfections, right? And he made me perfect because I'm now in him. I believe in him. I've accepted him as my Lord, as my savior, and therefore I'm in him, right? He makes us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? So how are we made righteous? 
because of Jesus. Because he was perfect. Because he fulfilled what God demanded. Right? So to those who are in Christ, God doesn't see you as this sinner, as this reject, as this, you know, sellout, as this whatever. Sometimes how we perceive ourselves. God doesn't see us. If, God, if you're in Christ, God doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. He sees perfection. Right? That's how he sees you. Ah, that's good news. And he sees us as righteous, not because of our performance, and by the way, which will always fail. Our performance will always fail. How we, do, how we try to do it on our own strength, our efforts will always fail, right? But Jesus was perfect, and he did it for us. So our faith is in him, not in anything that we can or did do, right? So what happens then? The life of Christ, what is it about? John chapter 15, and I'm in that chapter a lot lately. I love it. It talks about abiding in Christ. When we abide in him, his life produces through us. His life produces when we stay connected, when there's a union, when there's a coming together, right? We submit and surrender and yield to his life. You see, the old man's dead. We need to when we become born again, we still have an unrenewed mind. We still have a flesh that we need to deal with. They're going to be contrary to your new born again spirit. So you need to deal with them. You need to, you need to do what the word of God says concerning these things, right? So you're going to still think a certain way. You're still going to, you know, make mistakes. You're still going to do these things. But when you, when you continue to renew your mind with the word, yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to the new life that's on the inside of you, his fruit will begin to produce in your life. Something wonderful. That's where we see the change in people, right? So we abide in Christ and allow his perfection. Who is the perfection? Jesus, not us right? We abide in Christ, and then his perfection flows out of us as we yield to the life of the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, right? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit. That's what the Christian life is about. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to walk according to the new life that's on the inside of you, right? So his perfection flows through us. So What's this? Righteous living, holy living, becomes a fruit, not the root. Right? You still, yeah, listen, there has to still be righteous living. There still has to be, you know, a life of holiness. There still has to be a life that is set apart. But you're not, you're not, I need to get over here and do these things in order for God to accept me. No, in Jesus, he's already accepted you. And if you're in Christ, these things will come naturally. They will flow as you're renewing your mind, as you're submitting your life. If you're, if you're getting the word in your heart, if you're, if you're yielding to the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, righteous living and holiness will be the fruit. But see, religion still says, oh, no, 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 this is the root. You still have to do this. You still have to do that. And you still have to do the other. No, Jesus, I don't know, Jesus finished it. Finished. So we don't have anything else to do other than abide in him, stay connected to him, live, live alongside him, walk with him, right? And let him flow through us. 
So we live our lives pleasing unto God. Remember I said, like, um, I didn't even read that at the start there. I just got flowing into it there. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Right? So we live our lives pleasing unto God when we believe in him. When we come to him knowing that he is. He is. He is life. He is that way. Right? We live our lives pleasing unto God because our rest is in Jesus, not striving to earn his acceptance. We're not striving or working hard, working in our own lives and our own energy, our own efforts, trying to earn his acceptance. No, Jesus earned us acceptance. Ephesians 1, 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which we, he, has, he made us accepted in the beloved. You're already accepted. Jesus was your, was your acceptance, right? God demanded perfection and Jesus was perfection, right? Is your life wrapped in his? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> See, this is what I'm trying to show you here is that there's a, there's a vertical thing that we need to get right, right? Our faith is not in... There's things that we're going to need to apply our faith to in this world, right? There's things we're going to need to apply. But I'm telling you, your faith this way isn't going to produce much until your faith this way is right. Until, your faith, until you are resting in Christ's finished work. That's where the rest is. The rest will produce a work here. But you, you're resting in this. You're resting in the fact that Christ has finished it. Right? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a burden that you cannot handle. Rest. Rest. Jesus speaking these words. He was surrounded by multitudes of people who were trying to earn approval, trying to earn acceptance by meeting the requirements of the law, by doing what they thought they could do in their own strength. And what Jesus was revealing to them here was, a, like I said, a coming together. Jesus said, come to me. Join your life to mine. There's a coming together. We join our lives to his life. We can't make it on our own, but if we come to him, he becomes our path to true life. When we come to him, he becomes our path. He directs our steps. You know, Jeremiah spoke about it. Prophet Jeremiah. And in 10, chapter 10 of Jeremiah, in verse 23, he says it like this. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You know we aren't designed to walk alone. You know, there's this, there's this thinking and there's this, it's, just, it's, a, it's a tactic of the enemy and it's this, this independence that man thinks, no, I'm good. I, I don't need that. Or I, I don't need Jesus. I don't need, I'm good. I know 
I know that I'm a good person. I know that what I do, you know, affects people's lives and helps people. And they are so wrapped up in themselves and in what they can do and in what they can achieve, it's sending them straight to hell. Because until they join their lives to Jesus, that's the only, that's the only way they're going to have true life, right? We can't make it on our own. We're designed to walk with Jesus. Jesus is calling us to rest. To rest in what? His finished work, right? Does that mean we do nothing? Nope. It doesn't mean we do nothing. But the rest must come first. Remember I said at the beginning, the rest comes first and then you're, most, you're more productive, you're more effective, right? The faith that abides, realizing that without him, you can do nothing. John 15 says that too. Without him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Right? Stop striving and start trusting. Mark chapter 16. So Jesus has went to the cross and he's resurrected and he's revealing himself to his disciples. And just before he ascends back up into heaven, he says in verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So what's Jesus doing? He's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, what do you do when you finish your work? You rest, right? You sit down, right? You rest. Or when you've completed a task, you rest. When you finish your day, you rest, right? You know, so many people are in faith trying to get Jesus to do something for them, right? Uh, if, if I only do this, and if I do that, and if I, you know, if I confess this a hundred times today, it's going to make Jesus do this thing that I'm asking for him to do, right? No, no, no. Jesus has already finished everything. Jesus has already done everything for you, and he's seated at the right hand of God, right? So he's given you provision. He's given you authority. He's given you his name. He's given you everything that you need to appropriate these things, right? But you have to know that. We should be resting in that fact. Did you ever hear the phrase, my work's never done? John Holloway, your work's never done. And when he gets... <laughs> I'm sure when he completes one thing in the house, there's something else to be done, right? You get one job done, yes, that's done. And it's like, John, I have something else for you to do. <laughs> you never fix this for me yet. This still needs to be done, right? There's always something to do, right? When you get one thing done, there'll always be something else. You complete one thing, there's something else to do. You know, there's truth to that statement. In ourselves, we'll never be done. In ourselves, there'll always be something, right? In the Old Testament, the work was never done. You know, the high priest's work was never done. Did you know that? 
he still had to work. He still had to do, he still had to do these things. He still had to strive and to work to cover these people's sins. Right? Jesus, it talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus, one sacrifice, once and for all. So Jesus isn't coming back to die again. Right? It's finished. It's finished. It was one sacrifice, once and for all. Right? We can never meet God's perfect standard, but Jesus completed his work, and he is seated right now, soon to be coming back for his bride. Soon to be coming back for his bride. So it requires faith to enter into rest. And we need to get this right first, which is our faith towards God, our rest in faith, knowing, Jesus, you took my place, right? Everything I need, everything, it's found in you, right? You are my access to the Father. I can come boldly before the throne. Why? Because of you, Jesus, right? That's something that you need to rest in, right? You can't be just like, oh, I, I need to do this today in order to go before the throne. No, Jesus give you access. Are you resting it, right? Before we can ever apply our faith to the things in this world, we're going to have to get these things right. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, it's talking about the wilderness wanderers, you know, God's people. And in verse 16, it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Because of unbelief. So God didn't withhold these things, right? Did you know that? It wasn't God's will for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years either. God wasn't withholding anything from them, but they just didn't believe. They couldn't enter into his rest because they didn't believe. It was a hard issue. It was a faith problem right? God promised them a land flowing with, mi with milk and honey. God promised, God said, I, I'll give you a land, right? So God spoke. God gave a promise to them, and they had a choice. They could either believe what God said, or they could believe what was happening, what they could see, what was coming against them. Unbelief was the hindrance. It's the same thing today. People don't enter into his rest because not because he doesn't allow it, it's because they don't believe. They don't believe, right? They simply don't believe. Their faith is in what they can do and not in the finished work of Christ, right? Um, down from that into a new chapter, in chapter 4, it says, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of coming into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it, or it, which means embrace the fullness of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So how do we enter into his rest, church? 
It tells us right here, we believe. We believe in the finished work, right? That's how we enter into this rest. We believe in the finished work. You know, faith activates the promise, right? God speaks his word. God has spoken to you. God, whether he's speaking it to you directly in your heart, whether you see a promise in the word of God here, and you read it, and do you know what's going to activate that promise? You know what's going to produce and manifest that promise in your life? Faith. Faith activates the promise. You have to believe. You have to believe it. The faith that pleases God is when we rest in his finished work. You know, Jesus is seated at the right... Jesus isn't pacing up and down, praying for you. Did you know that? <laughs> Jesus is interceding for us. He's our intercessor, but he's not pacing up and down. Jesus isn't worried. Jesus isn't anxious. Jesus isn't concerned about what you're going through right now. Right? Jesus cares, and he loves you, and he desires what he has for you, but he's not worrying about those things. He's not concerned about those things because... He's victorious, and he's given the victory to you. Like I said, he's given you the provision, and he expects you to rest in that. He expects you to rest in that. So this resting will produce an action on our part, and I'll get to that a little bit later, but we need to remember that Jesus has done it all. And when we don't remember that, we get focused on our own actions. And church, I'm not talking about just, oh, you know, when you're new to the Lord. Or, or, I, like, these are things that we, we get so obsessed and wrapped up about what we're doing. And it becomes about what we're doing and how good we're doing it. Instead of resting in him. We'll get focused on our own actions what we can do to make something happen and that's dangerous so verse 10 of that chapter 4 it says for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works right so it's telling us for those that's you that's me if you're and if you've entered into his rest you've ceased from your works you say well i thought you know we still have, yes, there's still an action. There's still a life that you live. There's still, there's still fruit that is produced. There's still things that we must do. But we cease from our works of trying to earn God's approval. Cease our works of trying to earn his blessing. Oh, God will give me this promise if I do this, this, and this, this, and this, and this, and this. Believe. Rest in the fact that he's made the provision for you. Is this making sense? For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. God ceased from his. God rested on the Sabbath day. You know, Jesus is our Sabbath. <laughs> Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our feast. Right? Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is all of these things. He fulfilled it all, right? So we don't have to observe these things, right? We don't have to observe all of these things because we think it's going to get us closer to God or because, again, it's going to get us more blessing or it's going to get us more approval or it's going to get us more, you know, right standing with God. No, Jesus has done all that. Jesus became all those things. When we're in him, he made us perfect, I want us to see something important here. 
The word tells us that these wilderness wanderers, these people that God took out of Egypt, they didn't enter into God's rest because they didn't believe. What was it that they didn't believe? Like we said, what God spoke. So God's word, they didn't believe it. God gave them a promise, they didn't believe it. They kept they just kept doubting, 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 led them to unbelief, and it angered God, right? You know, unbelief's a sin. <laughs> unbelief's a sin, right? So we shouldn't be in unbelief, right? We shouldn't be in unbelief. God spoke a promise to them, and they didn't believe it. They doubted, and that led them into unbelief. You know, when God speaks a promise to us in our hearts, it's important, right? We can rest in knowing that he's faithful who promised. You know, what did Abraham say? He is faithful who promised, right? So when God speaks to you, when God gives you a promise, you need to rest in the fact that he is faithful who promised. However, there's a diligence needed to remain, to enter and then to remain in that rest, right? And I love this because the word tells us in the King James in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, the, it, it says labor. So it's talking about labor to enter into a rest. To, like, so it's like, well, what is it? It's talking about work and then it's talking about rest. And it's like, what, which is which? What do we do? Do we labor? Do we rest? Right? Verse 11 says, we must labor to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. Right? A labor is involved. And I look at it this way. When you finish your work, no matter what it is, I find there'll always be an opportunity when you finish a task or you've come to the end of your day, whatever, there'll always be an opportunity to not rest. Anyone experience that? Toyin. When you go home, is there opportunities for you not to rest? Yes. <laughs> there'll always be opportunities to not rest. Right? You'll always see something that needs done. Right? You will always find something to keep you busy. And it's the same thing here. You'll always have an opportunity to get, in, to get into unbelief. You'll always have a temptation to get into unbelief. Right? There will be temptations for you to keep striving. Keep working. Keep, keep doing everything in your own strength. Right? Uh, we've already discussed tests and trials. This parasmos that comes. Who's it come from? Satan. Why? Not, it's, not a, it's not a classroom type thing. We don't face these tests and trials because, oh, we're in a classroom and God's trying to teach us something. Rubbish! God doesn't bring evil to your life to teach you something. Thank you. I was wondering, is everyone still with me here? Right? God doesn't bring sickness. God doesn't bring these things. He's not the author of these things to teach you a lesson. Right? Do you know why tests and trials come? Because we're in a battle. We're in a battle. Right? We have an enemy. You know what, what you're also battling? Your flesh. You're also battling your flesh. Right? These things, you're, these things are things that... You, this is what I mean. There's a diligence needed. There's a labor that's needed to stay in the rest. If you're not diligent to rest, you'll fall into unbelief. When you go home, if you're not diligent to rest, you'll find something to do. 
And if you're not diligent to rest in God, if you're not diligent to rest in your faith, a faith rest towards him, you'll always get into unbelief. And this faith, outward faith, won't, won't ever produce anything. Because you're, still, you're trying to do it on your own strength. You're trying to do it on your own merit. On what you've gained or what you've earned. How do I rest in faith towards God? What must I labor or be diligent in doing? The answer is found in what the children of Israel didn't do. Right? Verse 2 tells us the word didn't profit them. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, it did not profit them. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith. They didn't believe it. Right? The labor involved is staying in this. That's what it is. Staying in this. Meditating on it. Reading it. Digesting it. Living it. Eating it. Sleeping it. The word of God. You have to be in it. You have to be in the word of God. You have to be getting it into your heart. That's how we remain in faith towards God. We know this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to be taking the word of God in. We know that takes diligence and work. And what do I mean by that? Look at when you have difficult circumstances coming against you, when you have things that are, the, like I said, a parasmos, these tests, these trials, whatever it is, right? Something that's difficult coming against you, coming against you, it, it takes discipline to stay in the word, right? Because your natural senses, your physical senses, what you're going through is wants to dominate you, right? So your body, for example, is telling you something like that you're sick, right? You're dying or whatever. Or maybe it's a financial thing that's screaming at you. Whatever it is that's coming against you, people, physically, persecution, whatever, anything, right? Everything that you see, everything that that circumstance and situation or trial or test or temptation is telling you, it's opposite to what this is telling you. So if, this is why it's so important, if, you, that you, if you're not focused on the right thing, right? Because if you're constantly feeding on these things, if you're feeding on what your circumstance is telling you, what your situations is telling you, you'll start to not believe what this is telling you. you and I get you into unbelief. It'll require labor to stay in the word, to stay in his rest. The problem most people have is they've too much quit in them. People have too much quit in them. Right? Church, we have an enemy that wants to get us out of that rest, that wants to get us back into the fact that, oh, no, 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 you're not okay. You have to do this, this, and this, and this, and that, and the other, and the other, and, and tries to fill you with all of this lies and deception. Plus, you have the people, then you have the world, then you have your flesh. You have all of these things that you're battling against to get you out of rest. So that's why the Bible's saying there's a diligence needed, there's a labor needed to stay in his rest. There's too much quit. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, and actually I didn't even know, we read it out in prayer here this evening. <laughs> in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, 
We're not those, we're not of those who draw back. We keep going. We keep going. We keep on believing. What it says, it says in that verse, we're not of those who draw back to perdition. We keep believing to the end. You have to keep believing to the end. Don't just start out believing, you know, and maybe all believe up into the midway point and then give up. No. We need to lose the I quit. We need to lose the plan B. If this doesn't work, oh, it's okay, I'll just quit. No. You have to be focused. You have to be determined. I'm not quitting. Let me tell you something, church. If the devil knows there's quitting you, he will do everything he can to exploit it. If he knows there's quit in you, he will try to get you to quit. You have to get to the point where I don't care what it is, I'm not quitting. There's no quit in me. We're not of those who draw back. Verse 11 to 12 of Hebrews. Verse uh, chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, which is unbelief. For the word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and, it is, and, is a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. All right? So notice how these two verses are connected. It says it has a four there. Right? So they're connected. It's following on the same thought. Right? We labor by staying out of unbelief. Also, in order to stay... In order to faith rest in God's word, we first need to get our, the word into our hearts. Like I said, you need to put the word in. Again, that requires diligent heart. But the good news is what that labor and diligent produces is so much more than we could ever imagine. What that labor, you say, oh, you know, it takes that, like I said, it's a discipline. You're taking the time to put the word in, you know, and, and it's like things are screaming at you and things are, th things are difficult and it's, it's a discipline. But I see when you get into it, when you get into the routine, when you get into the lifestyle of it, you become a person of the word. I'm telling you what the word produces in your life is so much better than anything else and greater and more powerful than anything else that's coming against you, Right? It bears wonderful fruit. So the word is now in our hearts, right? We're laboring to get it into our hearts. We're, 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 we're being diligent in this way. We can rest now in God's faithfulness, right? The word's in our heart and we can start resting in his faithfulness. While we rest, guess what's working? The word. The word's working, right? While we're resting in God's faithfulness, the word is working. The Bible tells us right here, it's living it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know the word is a weapon. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see the armor of God, right? What is the offensive weapon? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's your offensive weapon, right? The word of God is your weapon. The word of God is the one, is, it does the work, right? When we agree in faith, and this is what this verse is talking about. You see, this is what I mean about there's a connection there. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So what that means is sharper than any two-edged sword is it's a two-mouth um, two speaking. And that's where we get the, uh, this is why it's confession so important. God speaks and then you speak. That's what confession means. It means to say the, same, say the same thing as. So when God speaks something and then you speak something, that's the sword. 
That's the double-edged sword that's going forth. Right? When you come into agreement with what God's saying, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's no longer us striving to make things happen in our own strength. We're simply believing in the word that we have been diligent to put in our hearts. A true rest comes with that church. A true rest comes when you get the word of God in your heart and, it's, and you, are, it, you prove it to be true and right and, 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 and God, you know, works in your life. A true rest comes with that. Faith, it's impossible to please him without it. Hebrews eleven six again, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is coming to Jesus, knowing that we can't do anything on our own. We can't do anything on our own. We must believe that he is. We please God when we learn to rest in who he is. You see, there is a rest right? There is a rest and there is a work, but the rest has to come first. The rest has to come first, and then not only will we be working, but we'll be doing the right thing at the right time, and we'll be the most productive and the most effective when we're resting in his faithfulness, and then anything that's happening out here will be, it'll be right. So, I'm going to leave it there. But the next time I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter um, 10 or 11 or whatever it was we were, it talks about, you know, when Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Then he goes on to say, there is a labor, right? There is still a yoke, but, but it's, we're connected to him. We're now, there's a coming together, there's a union, and then he, <laughs> he, he's bearing it with us right? We're not doing it on our own. There's a partnership, right? And that's where, um, that's where this, when, we're, when we start uh, applying our faith out this way, that's where things are going to get done. Amen, because this is right. Amen. Are you blessed? Yes. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this time together, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. We thank you for your presence here with us this evening, Lord. You're so faithful to show up. We thank you, Lord. We hunger and we thirst after you. We don't want anything else, Lord. We say, give us more of you, Lord. Reveal more of us to you, Lord. More of your anointed. More, Lord. Because we love you. We're not desiring anything else but you. We thank you for your word. Oh, that it changes us, Lord. It transforms us. We thank you for the seed of your word, Lord. That is, it is, it's never faulty. It always does what it is sent forth to do. And it prospers in what it is sent forth to do. So we thank you, Lord, for the word that's been sown tonight. Lord, for your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. We thank you, Lord. We say the ground of our hearts, it is good ground. It is ready. It's going, to be, it's going to be ground that is completely dedicated to the growing and producing and the maturing of God's word. We don't have room in our hearts for anything else, Lord. Reveal to us if there's other things in there that's going to choke the word, that's going to hinder the word, Lord. Reveal it to us by your spirit so we can deal with those things, Lord. Because we don't want a divided heart. We want a heart that is sold out for you. We thank you for, for this week, Lord. 
We thank you for the remainder of our week. We, we speak your health, your strength over us, Lord, over our families, over our children. We thank you for, our, for your protection, Lord. You give your angels charge over us, keeping us safe in all of our ways, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that no matter where we go, you're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that by your stripes, we are the healed of God. So no sickness, no disease will prosper against us because you've made provision for us to walk in divine health. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for doors to be open this week, Lord. Opportunities. We thank you, Father, for that we'll always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And I mean, Lord, the world needs hope right now. Lord, the world is crying out. The world is in... (laughs) You can see these birth pains as we're getting ready for you to come and get your church. So help us, Lord, never waste an opportunity. Help us never shy away from giving an answer of the hope that we have. We thank you, Lord, that we will fulfill the Great Commission. We will lay hands on the sick and we will see them recover because we don't even, we don't just, we proclaim and you demonstrate, Lord, by your power. There's a demonstration. It's not just a proclamation. So we thank you for our Lord. You're worthy. You're faithful. Help us walk in love towards you, Lord, in faith towards you, in that faith rest towards you and who you are and what you've done for us. And help us walk in love towards one another. Oh, Lord, just being caring towards one another, Lord, praying for one another. Your word says that's how you're going to know that you're my disciple, is how you love one another. Help us to love, Lord. Help us agape. And I thank you, Lord, that here at Island Church Dundalk, we're covered by your blood, empowered by your word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.